And now Colin Peacock from the capital, Wellington, with Midweek Media Watch. G'day, Colin. G'day, Mark. Welcome along. Thanks so much. First up, a delicate uh, subject. This isn't it? The coverage of a very distressing trial underway in Christchurch. Yeah, so this is uh, the trial of Lauren Dickerson uh, on trial for killing her three children in Timaru shortly before, well, shortly after the whole family uh, immigrated from South Africa, um, the defence being incapacity due to insanity. So this is something I'm sure anyone who's been looking at the news this week will uh, have found hard to avoid. Um, So a lot of attention on the trial. It's going to last for three weeks, so we're going to have to get used to it. And of course, the death of children in these circumstances is as serious as anything can be. You know, there is understandably high public interest in this trial, but uh, the intensity and the prominence of the coverage is um, prompting some people to push back. Yeah, um, and you know the coverage has it really been appropriate? Um, you know, with, with I guess the appropriate health warnings um, about the distressing nature of, of this subject. Yeah, I think the media aren't doing anything that they ought not to be doing. Um, it is critical, of course, a basic principle really that people don't get ambushed by stuff that is seriously distressing and the sort of details that will really upset people. So the mainstream media have been doing that, prior warnings of the upsetting nature of the content to come uh, and running things like uh, sources of support, helpline numbers and so on for those who do find that it brings up issues for them. And that's all, you know, best practice, or in fact, standard practice, really, for coverage uh, that involves images or descriptions, situations that are genuinely upsetting. But just as one example of some of the the pushback on social media, this medical professional and media commentator, uh, Dr. Emma Wehipehana, on social media said, look, she thinks there's a gratuitous amount of detail being shared in these reports about this particularly tragic case and linked to health helplines don't, she believes, offset the macabre and self-serving effect, in her words, of breathlessly reporting the gruesome details. Another one was David Farrier on his blog, uh, Webworm, where he Mm. does commentary as well as a bit of investigative journalism. Uh, He was saying about this and other cases, because it's not the only one in the news right now, Uh, He's saying, I'm not sure my brain or anyone else's really needs to know this level of detail. And in his mind, it shows what he describes as an utter disregard uh, for the the life that's been taken. Mm, Yeah, he refers to it as torture porn, which um, is an interesting way. But I think they've got a point. Do do you feel they have a point in this uh, criticism? Partly, but I mean, the online sites, if we take the, the so-called big two, the Herald and Stuff.co.nz that specialise in breaking news, they are writing a lot of stuff from the evidence being presented in court. Uh, stuff even has a, a live blog that's been running since the start of the trial, reporting the evidence almost as soon as it's presented in court. I do wonder what is the appetite for that? How many people out there really want to know that stuff straight away? However, uh, their live blog is top of their list on the website of most viewed stories, so people clearly are tuning into it. Uh, but you know, personally, I can wait to the end of uh, the day for a summary written mm-hmm. by a reporter, or at least the end of a court session uh, for that sort of information. Also, that live blog has been at points... Um, studded with family personal pictures um these aren't images that haven't been shown in the media before when this case has been in the news but that does feel unnecessary to me the herald for example had a kind of prepped montage of today of lauren dickerson in the dock and then sort of superimposed in the same image you know personal baby photos of the the three children you know that's the creating an image to try and you know dress up the page that that to me feels 
uh, I'll just say unnecessary. Uh, and interestingly, the Herald social media team posted this note today. They said, uh, Justice Cameron Manda has directed the media not to invite comment in relation to media articles during the trial. Uh, and therefore, at the request of the judge, we will continue suspending comments where applicable. So I'm sort of struggling to think of the circumstances where you know public comments on those articles will ever uh, actually be really helpful. Mm. Of course, the other side of this is that justice must be seen to be done, and uh, responsible media shouldn't shy away from covering these uh, really distressing cases. Yeah, and that is also true. I mean, some essential journalism does harm, does upset people, but you know can be important for that very reason. For example, if you think of coroners' inquiries and inquests. Mm. Uh, media coverage of the evidence does repeal important things that people really need to know. Uh, in this case, um, even at uh, early stages, people consuming the coverage, you know, might be hearing about warning signs of people in distress. Um, you know, the, the psychological problems of resettling in another country and so on that may be relevant further down the track. And you know, if if a thing goes through a full inquest situation, you find out about prevention, accountability, those sorts of things. Um, however, David Farrier, as you mentioned it in that article, he drew attention to another one that this case made me think of, the, the so-called Mangare mm. uh, torture trial. This is the 17-year-old Demetrius Paidama. Horrible death. Uh, two people have already been convicted for her horrible murder. Uh, another 16-year-old uh, is now on trial with the, their involvement, that that aspect of it. So that case is back again. It's it's wretched. And reading those reports, I remember when uh, of the first trial and the convictions, just just awful stuff to read that again. But in my, I do feel for the reporters who are doing this because you know you do need to know if such things are happening, why, and you know, the circumstances that so-called friends, acquaint, acquaintances could operate in the so-called empathy-free way. So it's something we don't want to think about happening in our society, but it is, and documenting it when it's in court is something. But as, as David Ferrier of Webworm put it, you know, he said when um, people he knows who have challenged this, you know, because it's said in court, is it fine to say it everywhere? Should the media publish it all? You know, he, he clearly feels not. But when reporters have pushed back when challenged and said, look, we're not going to withhold what's going on in open court. Uh, that's, you know, and of course, readers don't need to read it. Uh, and they've been warned if it's going to be distressing. So I guess, you know, that's that's the balance of it. But it is a difficult one. And uh, yeah, it does make you wonder about that appetite for all the, the worst details of mm. what gets said in court. But it's quite a sign, isn't it, when that uh, particular live uh, blog is uh, top of the charts, if you like, uh, in the Stuff uh, website. Yeah, I wonder if it will be in three weeks' time, yes. though. But, yeah. or, but I guess if they get closer to the end of the trial, then it probably would, would pick up again. But yeah, there is an element of macabre interest, I think, in there for sure. Now, for years, the crimes of arts patron Sir James Wallace were, uh, well, kept secret, effectively. And now his name is out and the media, well, they're not holding back. They're catching up. No, and remember Sir James did go all the way to the uh, Supreme Court to try and keep his name uh, suppressed. So, yes, the media are indeed catching up. So we spoke on Media Watch to RNZ's own arts expert, Mark Amory, about this, and he said at the time, you know, there would be questions that both the media and the arts scene would have to confront about, you know, biting the hand that feeds uh, because, you know, he was a source of patronage and funds for so many projects and so many people. Those questions are now being raised in the media. Mark also said... At the time, you know, he was one of those people, uh, as we know from the reports, that um, uh, Sir James Wallace was asking for letters of support from uh, after he'd been found guilty, but before the sentencing. Well, he was far from the only one approached, though. 
Yeah, and this we know from um, the Herald on Sunday, two weekends ago, what, the Sunday before last, they reported 89 people had actually written uh, and uh, responded to that request with uh, letters of reference. Uh, The paper named some of them who were better known, um, some of whom who had the paper noted benefited directly from his support. Uh, Just to pick one, Rena Owen, the actress, uh, had uh, praised uh, Wallace's support for the arts, described him as an old school gentleman, beloved elder. Um, And none of those, it seems, were were prepared to talk to the paper about quite why they'd supported him, you know, in the knowledge that he'd been found guilty of something, even if they didn't know the details. But again, uh, David Farrier on that Webworm blog of his wrote about this as well, because he too was one of the people who received this letter. And... um, he made the point that a lot of these letters of support uh, that are now being made public, you know, they often raised the money. You know, he was funding so many people. Uh, he believes many of them just probably felt too indebted uh, to him mm-hmm. uh, or too conflicted to speak up. And he published the entire letter that he received you know, and blocked out the, the sort of CC names of all the other people. But interesting to read the full text of it and just to make it public uh, in that way. So the victims of Wallace, so uh, been speaking to the media, I saw the Sunday uh, program that featured uh, one of them. Yeah, that's right. Dunedin Identity Dudley Benson spoke to stuff and to uh, TVNZ Sunday show. It's time to shine a light on what he did to our people. Sir James Wallace finally revealed. This guy would do whatever he wanted. It was terrifying. I think he is an entitled individual. A survivor speaks out. No one did anything to stop any of this. So it sounds like a bit of a tough watch. It was it was quite fascinating, though, wasn't it? Oh, it was. I mean, it was difficult to watch, but also, I think, a sense of satisfaction for the victims and the supporters. Dudley Benson talked about uh, being at Wallace's first trial that got derailed. It also featured the Sunday show uh, theatre director, James Wenley, urging others to come forward and talk about it uh, and, and for a full accounting of of wrongdoing to go on. Uh, In the Herald on Sunday, they followed up last weekend with former chief executive of the Broadcasting Standards Authority, now an author, Dominic Sheehan, uh, also talking about, he's a lawyer as well by training, so he had, uh, you know, some interesting insights into the, the whole taking part in the trial process. So it seems like there was some satisfaction for them having gone through the process. Now things are out in the open. So, you know, a, l- a little more of a, a more satisfactory experience mm. um, than perhaps the, you know, the Dickerson trial and that sort of work in progress and, uh, you know, the more upsetting details of those dripping out in court in the way they are. Now, lately on Midweek Media Watch, you've been updating us on uh, personal changes or personnel changes at uh, Stuff. Uh, most of them behind the scenes and management and editorial comings and goings, etc. But today they announced some new on-air talent. Yes, uh, they have appointed Tova O'Brien, the former News Hub political editor and former morning host at um, the uh, now defunct Today FM as their chief political correspondent. She was last on air, uh, remember it well, leading that <laughs> notorious on-air revolt against the bosses when they closed down Today FM. Um, is this an appointment made with perhaps the election in mind? Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, people said at the time, well, that'll be a bit of a miss for the election because, you know, she would have been in her element uh, doing that. Indeed, the stuff statement doesn't say a whole lot about what uh, they plan for her, but it does say she will shine a light on political economic policy issues uh, that impact everyday Kiwis. This is particularly important given it is election year, so they clearly want uh, her input on that. And she herself in the statement said, I've been missing journalism and politics so much 
can't wait to get cracking into an already banger election campaign, she says. So three months to go, but she still clearly thinks it's on already and she wants to be in amongst it. So she's a broadcaster, of course, and stuff is historically a newspaper or news publisher. Is this a sign of a new direction, perhaps, for stuff, the way the company's moving? Yes, and we can see that in some of these editorial changes that we've been talking about in bits and pieces uh, over recent weeks. Um, first, with that change at the top with the chief executive, Sinead Boucher, who's you know the owner of the company, devolving her management um, responsibilities, becoming chief publisher and so on. So Tover O'Brien's announcement was made by uh, the managing director of Stuff Digital, Nadia Tolich, you know, herself a former broadcaster brought in from ZB. So, yeah, it's clearly a move away from that Uh, newspaper and news publishing legacy of the company. Uh, Meanwhile, other whispers uh, about long-standing editors, or in fact, one at Stuff himself, Mark Stevens, who's been there, uh, I think, for more than 25 years, and reports that, you know, he he might be leaving the company, although none none of that absolutely confirmed. Um, I've asked about it at the moment, but also uh, NZME's Mariana Alexander, senior editor at The Herald. She's taking a break now, and and next week is the last one for RNZ's own head of news, Richard Sutherland. So, um, yeah, a bit of a, a thinning out of senior editorial news ranks uh, at different media companies around the country. Well, Colin, we've had a reaction uh, from uh, text, no name attached. The media's job is to report on the facts, not to censor them. The consumer should be left to make up their own mind about what is suitable for their personal consumption. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true, and that's why the warnings are there. Um, this was stuff reported in open court, mm. and justice must be seen to be done. All of that is true. I guess the point that David Farrier was making, he said, coming back from the United States, which is extremely open and free media, you know, he had the feeling, perhaps in, in those and other countries, that there wasn't... Um, the willingness, because of course the media never put absolutely every detail out there. But also I think the, the thing that's winding a few people up the wrong way is that, uh, as described as breathless, I don't know if that's the right word, but that almost instant reporting of mm. detail. Things that sound like private medical information, of course it's being out in court, but you know, the Lauren Dickinson's IVF history and so on, all of that, to, to hear about that online mere minutes or less than that even after it's you know been read out in court is what's I think upsetting some people. Yeah it was witnessed as well with the Grace Mullane trial wasn't it? The detail that came out there where she the victim was you know almost became a victim. Yes absolutely absolutely that's that's very much the same feeling there. Now a story that was big news late last week Chris Hipkins ruling out any new wealth tax including the capital gains tax that Labour Party had has proposed in the past but Always backed away from. <laughs> yes, and, and once again, uh, it seems so. A big reaction to that, predictably, perhaps seems to be the third rail of New Zealand politics. So just back in April, TVNZ's political editor, Jessica Much Mackay, said, look, Hipkins seems to have made a calculated decision to not play the rule-in, rule-out game following um, perhaps Jacinda Ardern's lead. But then she followed, or he followed her lead in saying, OK, I do rule it out. So, you know, she noted that from overseas where he was at the time, I think in Lithuania when he announced it, saying that, OK, now he's made that call for purely electoral reasons. And reflecting on that uh, last Sunday in the in the Sunday Star Times, Andrea Vance in her weekly column says, look, this is a pure electoral calculation, you know, cynicism underlined by the fact the finance minister was working on plans for a wealth or capital gains tax and had been for months. You know, Labor's now trapped in a comfort zone of low taxation. You know, Hipkins has looked at it, so swing voters won't tolerate it, but absolutely discussing it as a move relating to the next election. But not everyone quite saw it that way. So Jack Tame, 
who has a, a weekend, a Saturday show on News Talk ZB. Uh, he had a different view about this, thought it was a wider leadership issue on Saturday. If you're only prepared to make popular decisions as a leader, though, then what is the point of leadership? It's not really leadership, is it? It's just, it's just focus grouping. It's just polling. Instead of laying out a platform, debating its merits and pursuing a really distinct vision, you might as well just have, I don't know, like a smartphone app or a website on which everyone votes for every little policy so that you can be sure you never fall afoul of the masses. I'm not remotely surprised by Chris Hipkins' captain's call on tax reform this week. Yeah, well, that's it's not a bad. You could have instant referenda, do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, well, this isn't a point that other people haven't made. But look, you know, I would like to see in comments like that some acknowledgement that the media are part of this that make it harder for leaders to do these bold ideas and these potentially unpopular things. One case in point, you know, on that very network, News Talk ZB, the Jack Tame's own fellow hosts, when the capital gains tax was raised, you know, hammering the so-called politics of envy. You know, there was very uniform kind of attitude among their hosts who have, you know, the privilege of an editorial uh, opinion or pulpit on the air. So, you know, the fact that there is almost a chorus like that, uh, you know, if I were a politician who was minded to make some bold and unpopular calls and take a risk, you know, it would be galling, I think, to hear that. You know, it comes at a cost, and the media, I think, does uh, increase the risk for politicians that want to do that these days. Mm-hmm. Anyone reflecting on that at this point? Bernard Hickey, uh, who's addressed this issue of wealth taxes because he writes about political economy and, uh, you know, the overbalance and dependence on property and so on and a, a unbalanced uh, investment in this country, He believes it'll now be impossible for any kind of wealth tax to be implemented within the next decade or two with the two major parties seeming to hold the same position. But he said in a conversation with the political writer and thinker Daniel McLaughlin, he said, what seems to be happening in other places in the Western world as well, where in modern politics, it's defence is becoming stronger than offence. You want to propose a change, you want to do it. There are now so many roadblocks, lobby groups, uh, opposition Uh, And I think the media is a part of that sort of matrix. One of um, Bernard Hickey's slogans, though, is uh, when the facts change, he can't see the future and how circumstances might change to to force the issue. Um, Is that a bit bleak? Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a contradiction at first. That's the name of the the podcast or one of the podcasts that he does when the facts change. So, But Bernard kind of addressed this himself. He said, look, I'm not being nihilistic. I think it's a clear-eyed way of doing it, just to look at the problem. This is frozen. You won't be able to re, you know, change the tax system in this way with this political consensus. He said, I now want to focus on as much as I can on the range of solutions and issues that might exist outside of the usual debates and official circles and political parties, you know. But what he fears is in, in terms of the media is that if the politicians like Chris Hipkins just rule it out, that means the, the media will just stop asking questions about the idea at all. You know, no point in asking even a minor party, you know, do you back this change? Because, you know, if the senior politicians are saying, no, nah, we've ruled it out, then, you know, it just becomes something that in the media's mind will never happen and won't get discussed. So why, why does he think that, do you think? He says, I've got this privilege, me, Bernard Hickey, uh, because I've got my own media outlet now, my subscriber-funded uh, uh, newsletter, the Kaka, uh, do my own podcast. He said, I can do this because I've got, I own a home. I've got, um, you know, some untaxed 
capital gains from owning homes over the years. I've, I've got this lovely uh, position as a sort of self-employed journalist, but he says he believes the main papers rely so heavily on real estate and the banking industries for their advertising revenues that it makes it hard for them to support those discussions. He said RNZ is big enough to be able to report on the issue with clarity, he says, but he's warning that if we get a change, a more conservative type of government, as we've seen in other countries like the UK, Australia, their public broadcasters and publicly funded ones have uh, you know, come under pressure. So he's got a fairly bleak assessment of the media's uh, ability to imagine or promote debate about anything other than the kind of political orthodox uh, status quo in terms of major questions of you know, the economy. Well, that won't be very popular uh, elsewhere in the media. Um, has any of the media responded to that so far? Uh, not so many, but one who I thought made a good point, Janae Tibshraney, she's the Wellington business editor of The Herald. She hit back at him on social media, effectively saying, look, I've worked for uh, New Zealand media that's been reliant on advertising uh, at The Herald currently, previously at interest.co.nz, where there is challenging and thoughtful writing on economic matters. She said, I've never felt compelled to report in accordance with any advertisers' interest and uh, editorial decisions to be um, you know, kept uh, pretty separate. So she doesn't see that same sort of horizon. And of course, there are even for, you know, like her colleague at the Herald, Liam Dan, for example, the head of business, he writes about wide horizons and you know matters of national importance. So uh, yeah, I think Bernard might be overstating that, but you just certainly sense his frustration because he's written about these issues for so long that having it kind of closed off politically by all the major players is, uh, yeah, it's clearly frustrating for yeah. him. Any idea what might improve things? Well, on his... Um, his site, the Kaka, and the podcaster that he he does with some of his um, his fellows, you know, he he did share his view about the sort of frozen state of the economy. He did an interview with the listener columnist Daniel McLaughlin that I mentioned earlier, and Daniel said, "Look, it seems interestingly like the ideological debates these days aren't happening." Uh, between the parties, you know, left, right, national, labour, whatever, left block, right block. He says this is more like they're happening within them. Um, maybe that's not that profound a, a statement, but, you know, those who might want redistribution of income or taking risks, you know, within the parties is where those debates are going on. And when Daniel McLaughlin said, look, I think the media are actually doing a reasonable job reporting things like the importance of this um, wealth tax uh, veto, if you like, uh, they raised this, or Bernard did, with this notion of solutions journalism, actually trying to think outside the box and reporting on the consequences of political decisions that are made and the ones that aren't made. And uh, he brought it up this way uh, in a discussion with um, his friend and colleague, uh, editor Peter Bale, uh, in their weekly online chat they call The Hoon. Rather than bang on about the problems all the time, which I'm quite good at doing, <laughs> um, or worrying too much about who won and who lost and, you know, the burps and the farts of any sort of election campaign, to actually focus on coming up with solutions that may not be emerging from the political environment, but have come from overseas or from people in NGOs and the likes and try and bring those up. I quite like that concept of just, you know, the burps and farts and noise of an election campaign ob obscuring the big issues. But, yeah, I applaud him for raising it. And, um, you know, I, I, you know it's, some will see it as an airy-fairy concept, the solutions journalism. But, if, you know, thinking about that thing, that, that notion of thinking about the consequences of political decisions made and not made, I think, is a good one. We've got about two and a half minutes, um, uh, Colin. Uh, so we'll, we might as well try and get a little bit in about the Hugh Edwards story. Of course, last week when, when I spoke to uh, Hayden, uh, we didn't know who this uh, BBC presenter in the UK alleged to have paid a young person for explicit images was. It, the name came out shortly after. But those shockwaves still being felt. 
Yeah, that's right. So uh, hours after you spoke to Hayden, Hugh Edwards' wife, who's also a TV producer of note at another broadcaster, uh, said, yes, indeed, it was um, her husband. Um, of course, he's huge in the UK and not so well known mm-hmm. until now. Uh, but, you know, the problem is, as Hayden mentioned, the lawyer for the young person concerned said the story was rubbish. It was published by the tabloid The Sun. And uh, when TVNZ's Breakfast Show were catching up with us, they didn't quite get it right on this uh, interview on Thursday last week. We saw some coverage from the BBC, but have we had any response from the BBC about Hugh Edwards' resignation and or where is that Met Office investigation at? So it is, of course, the Met Metropolitan Police, the Met, that are investigating, not the Met Office, which is the UK's version of Met Service. Sorry, sorry to pick on them yeah. for that. But that story has been complicated by the BBC because it started its own investigation. It did. That's the extraordinary thing. So while The Sun said, OK... Hugh Edwards is in hospital. This is a serious thing. We'll stop reporting on this now. Uh, and they'll wait and see how, the, how this is investigated by the BBC itself. Uh, at, the, at that point, the BBC's own news programme, Newsnight, said, look, they've been investigating other uh, questionable conduct of, of Hugh Edwards, text messages sent to colleagues and so on. Now, that's amazed some BBC news people who are saying, look, basically those are kind of HR matters. You know, it doesn't sound great, but this is not, it's only because he's well known and this is really something that should be dealt with internally. It's not something that should be blasted, you know, across, um, you know, news bulletins at that point when, you know, clearly the situation was serious because of other other claims. So, well, that's just about all we have for uh, for time for you uh, this uh, week, Colin, and uh, appreciate your time, and uh, we'll look forward to you Sunday morning, and uh, you've got a big show planned for that, presumably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's plenty more of that. Hugh Edwards' story will be rolling on, and, uh, you know, tons of other issues as well, so we are certainly not short of stuff to report on on <laughs> Sunday, and indeed, I won't be the next time I talk to you in a couple of weeks. Good on you, mate. Well, thanks so much. Colin Peacock there with our Midweek Media Watch.